I want to review a little bit from last week for some of you who weren't here. And, uh, and notice this side over here is a lot wider than what I've been putting up on the board, the earthly realm. And we talked a lot about the good and evil. And it gets to be kind of a a drag. You know, we, we know we live in an, a world that's broken and uh, under bondage and suffering and um, under a curse, I guess, from the fall. Uh, we're, we're well acquainted with that. But what do we know about the heavenly realm? What do we know about this world? Not a whole lot. But we're given just brief glimpses. It's like that passage we started with in Revelation 4, verse 1, where John says, I, I saw a door open in heaven, and I heard a voice saying, Come up hither, and I will show you what must come to pass. And so John then outlays, uh, lays out the uh, story of Revelation, the struggle of uh, earthly struggle, and then ends with the heavenly glory and Eden and the tree of life all restored as it had been in the beginning. Um, but we're given these brief glimpses of heavenly glory in the scripture. And, that, and why are they there? They're to encourage us, to, to bring comfort to us in a in a world that's uh, struggling with great difficulties and um, a world where we face the greatest enemy of all, which is death. Well, we should start with the word prayer. So let's do that. Let's bow in prayer. Father, I thank you for this day and this time to come together and to uh, enter into your word. Your word brings us comfort and hope and um, is a light to our path. And so... We pray for that light to fill our souls and the glory of heaven to, uh, uh, and what's revealed in Scripture to remind us of our Savior who gave his life for us that we might have eternal life. And um, thank you for all of our brothers and sisters in Christ, for Eastside Church, for the opportunity to serve you and to uh, love each other. And thank you for giving us the greatest gift of all, the gift of your Son, our Savior, Jesus, our Lord. And we pray in his name. Amen. You know, I don't know how I keep forgetting, because I guess because I run out of time every week. As we talked about all this over here, that out of the heavenly realm, what happened? Came Emmanuel. Jesus entered into this world and dwelt among us. Out of the ivory palaces into a world of woe, only his great eternal love made our Savior go. Okay. Um, and, and what did leaving the glory of heaven? You know, in the John chapter 17, Jesus prays that that God will restore to him the glory that he had with the Father uh, from eternity and in the beginning and not only that but that he will show this glory and give this glory to all who follow him but out of the heavenly glory Jesus came into a world of woe and what did this world throw at him whoa whoa <laughs> yeah every everything imaginable morning Mike um, 
he suffered uh, right from the beginning. I mean, here he is, the announcement of the birth of uh, a savior, a new king, and here's this effort to to destroy him. Uh, Revelation 12 has a, that picture of uh, the great red dragon. Remember that passage? Sweeping his tail through the heavens and casting a third of the stars to the earth. All with, we're going to talk more about that in a future lesson. But it says that there was a woman who was pregnant. And the dragon stood before her ready to devour her child as soon as it was born. And we see that in the... Uh, Gospel accounts, uh, nativity scenes in the opening chapters of the gospel, and uh, and right from the beginning, uh, Satan attacked our Lord. Now, last week, and just to review real quickly, um, I talked about three rebellions: the rebellion in the Garden of Eden, followed by a rebellion of. And this is a mysterious passage in uh, Genesis 6. Sons of God uh, intermarried with the uh, daughters of men and bore a race that, were, that are called the Nephilim. And uh, what, what all that's about, I still haven't figured out, but it, it's part of an angelic rebellion, okay? So uh, the Noah's flood was the second rebellion. And then what was the third one? The Tower of Babel. Okay, and I said we tend to pass over that and don't give it much attention, but it's very significant, very significant. Because at Babel, what did God do? Uh, Change languages. Change the languages and divided the world and separated peoples into nations and tongues. And uh, it seems like pretty harsh judgment, but God did it for the salvation of mankind. Um, several years ago I had a sermon I called Saved by One it wasn't original with me I heard it myself years before and uh, the preacher had taken um, a number of examples from scripture of where it looked like doom and loss was totally like here in the garden or at the flood or uh, at Babel God raised up an individual. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, and eight were saved in the ark, and it began anew. And the same way here, chapter 11 of Genesis, chapter 10 is the table of nations. All the nations are described in their languages. Chapter 12, or 11, is the Tower of Babel story, what I call the Third Rebellion. And... Uh, Chapter 12 is next. You know, 12 follows 11. So, uh, what happens in chapter 12 of Genesis? Abraham. Okay, this chapter is a hinge chapter. It's very pivotal to the Bible story. And uh, God, Noah, or I'm Noah, uh, Abraham is, finds grace uh, and favor in the eyes of the Lord. And God begins to his plan to save the world through one man. And uh, as and we'll find it comes all the way up to Jesus. As by one man sin entered the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, uh, because all have sinned. And by one man 
Sin came into the world by one man, life and grace came into the world, and that's through Jesus our Savior. So last week, uh, we were looking at Genesis 11, the third rebellion, where man attempts to create his own Edenic utopia. And what was the meaning of utopia? No place. No place, okay. Uh, you, uh, you were thinking utopia, the perfect place. Uh, the word was coined by Sir Thomas More in the 1500s, and uh, utopia means a place, okay? But the U means no, not. There is no such place. But all through history, men have tried to create a utopia through all kinds of movements and, uh, well, just bring it up to modern day, you know, communism um, will create the workers' paradise. Um, uh, these kind of movements that have gone on, and, and Babel was a good example of that. That's what they were trying to do, create a, a world without God, a world made in their own image. And is it happening today? We always right. like that. Yeah, we're always. Technology is our, is our tower of power. Yeah. There are voices coming out of uh, Europe. I don't know if you're familiar with the... Um, Great Reset, the uh, World Economic Forum out of Davos, Switzerland. Uh, the, their model in 10, 20 years, what is it, Jim? They, you will own nothing and you'll be happy. Um, the, the Green New Deal, you know, all this is part of this effort to uh, uh, create a utopia. Paul talks about it in Romans chapter 1 of Worshiping and serving created things more than the Creator who is forever blessed. So in chapter 11, uh, God begins to choose or to, begins to shape a nation. Um, Abraham is called uh, to be the head, the progenitor of a nation. Okay, now make of you a great nation, God says. And I will bless you and bless your your uh, those who are um, this nation that I'll form. And then not only that, but I will extend my blessing to where? You. All nations. All nations. Okay. All families. So what what is lost here in this third rebellion? And we need to come back and look at this more. It's really important passage. Why is there a rebellion here? What's going on? God is going to begin to re not only reclaim Israel, I mean, not only does he choose Israel, but he begins to reclaim the nations of the world. Okay, so um, God begins to shape a nation through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Jacob whose name is changed to Israel. And the, the whole rest of the, of the Old Testament is the story of God's working in Israel, through Israel, uh, for Israel to become uh, the conduit, so to speak, the incubator of, of salvation. Uh, through Israel will come he who will crush this, the serpent's head. Remember the curse in uh, Genesis 3.15. And uh, there is going on here, I mentioned what's going on here, just to quickly mention it. There's 
this is part of the angelic conflict that's going on. Behind the scene of men saying, let's build a tower and let's make a name for ourselves and we can be like God. That's really what their motive is. Behind all of that was uh, what I'm calling the, the great angelic conflict. The conflict um, in the invisible realm of angels and their use of men and nations. Um, so God begins uh, to form a nation for his own possession. Um, it will come about through the great faith of a man called Abraham, the progenitor of a nation that will be set apart for righteousness, who will be given a law, who will be guided by God's uh, gracious hand and his actual presence, and we're going to talk about that a little more this morning, um, and ratified with an irrevocable covenant that he makes with uh, Abraham. His covenant with Abraham did not fail. Did not end. And what? Did not end. And did not end. Okay. Um, his purpose in all of this will be to restore all that was lost with Adam. And you know, there's such a, a flow of Scripture, um, a marvelous unity of Scripture. Uh, when you think about Scripture being written over 1,500 years of time by, what, about 40 different authors, and all that, the message flows smoothly from beginning to end. And so here where you've got Eden lost, paradise lost, <coughs> what do you have over here? Paradise regained. Paradise, paradise regained. Here you've got death and a curse and suffering and sorrow in, in a world of darkness on the other side you've got just the exact opposite so this message flows through the scripture and we finally come to uh, to the end where heaven's glory is revealed uh, michael heiser is one of the books i've been uh, using uh, a biblical hebrew scholar um, he says that uh, Genesis 11 is the biblical explanation for as, as to how humanity's direct relationship to our Creator God morphed into the worship of other gods. Other gods. Okay. And so you read all through the New Te Old Testament these, of these nations and their gods. You know, the Egyptians with their gods, they worship the sun god and the Babylonians or the Chaldeans worship the moon god and the starry host and all the created things became gods. And what's behind all of that? What brought that into the world? This, how this um, story of the fall or the story of the scattering of the nations morphed into the worship of other gods. Abraham is called to leave Ur, his birthplace, where his father, his father and family worshipped other gods. We told that in the book of Numbers. And go to a land that they would later inherit. Um, and so it was by this means that uh, God is going to save the world. 
So if he chooses a nation and begins to work in grace through this nation, what do you suppose is going to happen to that nation? If there is an ongoing angelic conflict, they're going to be attacked. Okay. They're going to be attacked uh, unrelentingly, uh, unmercifully, from their beginning to the very end. And that's the story of the Old Testament. But it's not just the story of satanic attacks, it's the story of God's presence. Okay. And um, there's a passage in uh, Exodus where Moses, he's looking at this task to be the leader of uh, Israel to... Uh, leave uh, Egypt and go into the promised land and here are millions of people wait, uh, expecting him to be the leader you know he what how did Moses react remember that I want you to go and yeah. tell Pharaoh you? let my people go how well, do you he comes back to Hashem and said how am I to deal with a stiff-necked people <laughs> not only that but he looked at himself and he says I can't I can't talk I'm slow of tongue I'm who am I that I could go and stand before the most powerful man in the world and tell him boldly, let my people go? <laughs> so he's scared. And he uh, later he'll say, unless your presence goes with me, I won't go. And God said, you, no, Moses, you're going to go. But Moses insists, unless your presence goes with me, uh, I won't go. I'm going to talk a little bit more about that concept uh, in a few minutes. Um, so the entire history of the Old Testament is, and other nations, the Gentile nations, uh, involves an angelic conflict, a rebellion of angels and demons. And do you think that's still going on? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Uh, I ended the class last week with talking a little bit about our enemy, the enemy, the devil. Second um, Corinthians two eleven, we are not ignorant of Satan's devices, but maybe we are. He just recycles all the same um, schemes against us. Paul says that we are not to be ignorant of Satan's devices. Ephesians five verse four, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. We tend to be asleep to the dangers that exist uh, in the world provoked by evil forces. Proverbs 6 verse 10, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands and poverty and want uh, will come upon you like a thief. Um, God is, you know, numerous scriptures calling us to wake up, to be aware to know who our enemy is. Be sober, be vigilant. Your enemy, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Um, I was kind of shocked this week to, uh, but I shouldn't have been, I guess, to read um, the November-December uh, issue of Cosmopolitan magazine. No, I don't read Cosmopolitan magazine. <laughs> 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 you know, it's a magazine for young women about how to, you know, wardrobes and makeup and all this kind of stuff. Uh, but you can see it on just almost every uh, newsstand that you walk by. 
of December, November, December issue of Cosmopolitan Magazine um, published an article promoting how to have a satanic abortion ceremony. Can you believe this? Um, and it was the article was provided by people who belong to the Satanic Temple Abortion Incorporated. Uh, it's uh, located or based down in New Mexico. Um, it's run by Satanists. Uh, in an Instagram post explaining their article, uh, I have a hard time reading this, it's so small. Cosmopolitan explained in detail how to conduct a ritual to the four million followers of their app. A set of slides detailing the procedure for performing a ritualistic abortion ceremony in accordance with the Satanic Temple's guidelines were posted in the article. Okay, This involves standing or staring at one's reflection before a mirror, taking an abortion pill and saying one's body is inviolable, subject to one's own will alone. The ritual is completed when the pill is taken and the person has declared, by my body, by my blood, by my will, it is done. That is actually happening in our world. Um, it, you know, why does it always seem to be an attack on children? Erica, you mentioned this on Wednesday night, we were talking about it. That passage again in Revelation 12, Satan, the gray red dragon, standing before the woman who was pregnant, ready to devour her child the moment it was born. I think abortion is the holy grail of uh, Satanists. Uh, even in our high schools, I'm reading about Satan clubs and things like this going on. What is behind all of that? Why, why is this? It doesn't seem like a, like it's increasing in intensity in well, our I've world. I've heard there are covens over in uh, Manitou. Huh. Yeah, it seems like I've heard that too. Well, uh, it's bumper sticker. It says nothing says loving like something from the coven. Yeah. Um, Larry, I, I think that if we go back and look at, at what happened with Satan, we, we find the the very premise of the the, the crux of what the issue is. Satan wanted power. Mm -hmm. God created man, and and in creating man, he set aside angels, and there was a rebellion. Mm -hmm. Satan hates mankind. Yeah. What better way to destroy mankind than through children? Yeah. Either either destroying children. Or indoctrinating them to the point that they call Satan. Yeah, I was reading uh, Heiser this week, and he says that God loved mankind, created us for a special purpose. Uh, the Psalms say that, uh, uh, "What is man?" David's writing, "What is man that you are mindful of him, or son of man that you visit him? For you created him a little lower than angels." 
crowned him with honor and glory, gave him dominion over all things on the earth. Um, that uh, he makes the point that human beings will actually be exalted above the angels. Um, well, that didn't make Satan mad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he wanted to be number one. Yes, I think that um, the fight between God and Satan is Satan wants to control the people. God wanted people, mankind, because he wanted a relationship. He he loves people. Yeah, and Satan doesn't care about <clears throat> people. All he does, all he cares about, is power and control. And that's been going on forever and ever, and yeah. it's still going on. Yeah. You see it in the temptation of Jesus in uh, Matthew 4, showing him all the kingdoms of the world. I'll give you all this if you will what? Bow down, down. Bow down and worship me. Okay. Is that power? Is that the crux of everything? <laughs> that's the, that is the sin. Everything else is commentary. Yeah. Uh, because <laughs> Satan wanted the power. He, he's had the power on earth, but not the universe. And and on your three different uh, times, they were all about power. Mm -hmm. Let us be like God. Yeah. And you can be like God, which was a lie. He was a liar and a murderer from the beginning. Here in the opening uh, verses of the book of Job, this is a mystery and we'll maybe delve into it more but you know the some of the mysteries aren't revealed <laughs> um book of deuteronomy says um the things that are revealed belong to men the secret things belong to god and there are a lot of secret things that we won't know that we struggle to understand and uh, we'll understand it all by and by as the old hymn says one day the angels came uh to the to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came with them. Isn't that interesting? The Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, From roaming through the earth and going back and forth through it. And what do you suppose he's doing roaming through the earth? To and fro. <clears throat> seeking like a, like a roaring lion, seeking someone to uh, devour. Paul writes in Ephesians 6, verse 12, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against, and, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. What are these spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms, in the uh, invisible realms, if you will, the unseen realms? Um, what was ruined in the, by the fall will be restored in a future Edenic perfection, beginning with the incarnation of Yahweh, his atoning death, and the power of the resurrection. And those are all clearly laid out in the Gospels and uh, the New Testament. But Heiser says all that is relatively, relatively easy to talk about when compared... Sorry. Um, that's easy to talk about when compared to passages that deal with what comes after that. Uh, what comes last and will abide forever. Um, I showed you this magazine last week, Time Magazine was on the uh, counter this, uh, during December. Heaven and the Afterlife. 
what awaits us? See the question mark? Should be a real big question mark because it's certainly, and much of it is uh, certainly a mystery. Um, and so we know a whole lot about more about this because we dwell here than, than what's in the heavenly realms. So uh, Heiser has a chapter in his book uh, on the seeing the unseen. Our feeble attempt to describe the indescribable. Uh, if you have your Bibles, uh, look at 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9. Does anyone have the King James here? I grew up on the King James. King James, verse 9. But as it is written, I have not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man things which God has prepared for them that love him. Okay. What's that saying, Jeff? There's a lot of stuff flying for us we don't even know about. Yeah. We can't even begin to imagine what is in the heavenly realms. Morning, Skip. Um, Paul says it's like a, a, a hazy mirror. Yeah. But at some time we'll see clearly. Yeah, we look into a glass darkly, as the King James says. It's like uh, the ancients didn't have mirrors. They had polished uh, copper or metal where you could see a dim image of yourself. And, uh, and and that's what heavenly glory is. Uh, we can't begin to imagine it. It's uh, only dimly revealed. The door is cracked, slightly open to show us that there's glory and light in that heavenly realm. Uh, but Paul wants us to know about it. And so look at Ephesians chapter 1 and uh, verse 15. Ephesians 1.15. Who has that? Mm -hmm. Read down through verse uh, 23 all the way to the end there. For this reason, ever since I have heard about your trust in the Lord Yeshua and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you. In my prayers, I keep asking uh, the God of our Lord Yeshua, the Messiah, the glorious Father, to give you a spirit of wisdom and uh, revelation so that you will have full knowledge. It, Ephesians 1? Yeah. Okay, I'm good. Yeah, I'm you're good. Place. Full knowledge of him. I pray that he will give light to uh, the eyes of your hearts so that you will understand in the hope to which he has called you that rich glories there are in the inheritance so he has promised his people and how surprisingly great is the power working in us to trust him. It works with the same mighty strength he used when he worked in the Messiah to raise him from the dead and seat him at the right hand in heaven, far above every ruler, authority, power, dominion, or any other name that can be named either in the Olam Hazah, or in the whole and blah blah, and that's the days that are and the days to come. Okay. Uh, also, he put all things under his feet and made him head over everything in the messianic community, 
which is his body, the full expression of him who fills all creation. And after the resurrection, Jesus said, All authority, all power is given unto me in heaven and on earth. Uh, and he was raised to the highest place and crowned with, uh, he was crowned the, the king. He was seated at the right hand of, the, of uh, God in heaven uh, and reigned supreme over all things. That's the message of, of the book of Ephesians and, and the whole uh, New Testament. But Paul's saying here, my prayer is that God will open your eyes and he will enlighten you to the hope that we that is laid out before us. And so that's why this uh, topic of uh, seeing the unseen is of, of great interest uh, to all of us. Um, Paul suffered a great deal in his uh, ministry for Christ. Uh, it didn't start out that way. And I want to come back to the conversion of, of Saul in this story of seeing the unseen because uh, we're um, invited into the story where on the road to Damascus, he's suddenly surrounded with brilliant light and it changed his life. <clears throat> Later, um, uh, 2 Timothy 4, verse uh, 16, toward the end of um, Paul's letter to Timothy, uh, Paul writes this, <clears throat> At my first defense, no one came to my support. Paul was on trial, okay, probably uh, for his life. He said, everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. Verse 17 is this great verse. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. And remember, Satan is like a lion roaring, uh, roaming about seeking whom he may devour. Um, <clears throat> in this case, who's the lion? I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack. Now keep this in mind, because this is a, a passage for all of us, actually. The Lord will rescue me, or will rescue you from every evil attack. And we will be attacked. Okay, the Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. So let's never forget that whatever happens, whatever attack we experience, uh, whatever suffering we go through, God's going to bring you through it safely. Okay, and you know, it doesn't, Paul, in another place, he says, our light and momentary afflictions are working for us a greater glory. Uh, so what are, what are our sufferings and what are these attacks in the world? Light and momentary. Now, when you're going through them, they probably don't seem light. You're going through, say, an intense back in, uh, surgery <laughs> or through a, 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 a fatal illness. Uh, he calls them light and momentary. And God will bring you safely into his eternal kingdom, into heavenly glory. Um, what did Jesus say in John 14 about heaven? Um, let not your hearts be troubled. 
um, you believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house. What? There are many rooms. There are many rooms. And I'm going to prepare what? A place. Okay. This, these heavenly realms where Jesus has gone, where he's ascended to the right hand of God, is he's preparing a place that where I am, there you may be also. Okay, so it's a place. Uh, it's an actual, literal place. Um, I've written here myself a note. There's some biblical evidence that heaven and earth shall be one. That is that heaven will be a recreated earth, liberated from its bondage and brought into the glorious freedom of the sons of God, uh, along with all the redeemed, a glorious paradise. And then that too is a mystery, uh, not fully revealed, but Romans chapter 8 uh, hints at that. And I often wondered, is heaven some ephemeral place uh, in the clouds, or is it a paradise garden? And actually, in our experience, in our thinking, we tend to think it is a literal paradise valley where the perennial flower never fails, where all is glory, where Adam, who walked with God in the beginning, uh, in a Edenic or in an Eden, uh, in an Edenic paradise, will be restored um, in even a greater glory. Uh, because this uh, Eden will be brought into the earthly realm, not with evil, but with perfection. So there's a lot of debate about that issue. Where is heaven, and is it a recreated earth? Isn't isn't it supposed to be when Yeshua comes that there is a reconciliation between heaven and earth yeah. and they become one? Yeah. And that is more than likely when we get the new the new earth. Yeah. We look forward to a new heaven and a new earth, a new earth where righteousness dwells, where everything's right. Isn't that and there? And they say heaven is near? Heaven is near? It says a number of times in the New Testament, heaven is near. And the way grows clearer. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I get these songs in my head and I can't, I just get a line and I can't think of a song. Like I was thinking of the song that you were just saying, uh, Richard, heaven and earth shall be one. And heaven and earth shall be one. Fred, you're good with these songs. Uh, can you remember that one? <clears throat> heaven is mentioned more than 700 times throughout the Bible. In 44 of the 66 books of the Bible, the phrase the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of light appears more than 80 times in the New Testament. And Jesus in his parables often said the kingdom of heaven is like and remember that parabolic curve that we talked about um, the idea of uh, I'm not a mathematician but a par uh, a what 
parabola? A parabola, yeah. Reaches from here to there. And so it takes the heaven, kingdom of heaven is like in a metaphor, some earthly story that reaches to heaven, like this. Okay, and so he's uh, revealing to us something about the kingdom of heaven. Um, 66 or 80 times in the New Testament. Um, heaven is described as God's throne. And the earth is what? This footstool. Isaiah 66, verse 1. Heaven is God's dwelling place, a parallel realm where God's good and perfect will is carried out completely. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's our hope for our earthly existence. Um, and then in Revelation 5, verse 11, uh, what, what else is in heaven? Is God alone there? Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. Any mathematicians, what's 10? What's 10,000 times 10,000? Add the zero there. What? A thousand thousand is a million. I think it's a hundred million. <laughs> Pull out my calculator. A whole lot. A whole lot. He sees uh, over a hundred million angels. It's like he looks up and there's thousands of angels, but he keeps looking and out, out further and further, and thousands upon thousands and hundreds of thousands. Um, they circled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. Uh, you read about in the book of Revelation. And in a loud voice, they said, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Six uh, different things uh, to the uh, exaltation of the Lamb. One of our old hymns on To Canaan's Fair and Happy Land. I looked this one up to get it right. Where all is peace and joy and love and the soul of man never dies okay so this is uh you know in our hymn book is full of songs like this they have inspired people through the ages to write of the glory to come and uh, this concept of to canaan's land i'm on my way um canaan is sort of a metaphor uh, any type i guess of heaven we're wandering through the wilderness like the Israelites. And finally on Jordan's stormy banks, we stand and cast a wishful eye to Canaan's yeah, <laughs> Canaan fair and happy land where my possessions lie. Uh, Hebrews uh, 11, verses 8 through 10. I'm just going to go through these quickly because we're going to run out of time. Abraham looked forward. Abraham was a, a sojourner. By faith, he lived and trusted in God, but he lived in tents. He was just a pilgrim on the earth. But uh, <clears throat> Hebrews um, uh, 11 verse 8 says, He looked forward to a city whose builder and maker is God. Looking forward, okay? And uh one of you quoted the passage a moment ago. We look forward to a new heaven and new earth. We're looking forward. We're looking ahead to that uh, glory that's uh, to come. 
Second Peter 1 verse 13, uh, uh, Peter refers to uh, our body as a tent and a tent that we put off so that we might be clothed with our, with our, our heavenly body. Second uh, Corinthians 5 verses 1 through 10, the whole section there is described as our heavenly dwelling. And Paul also uses this concept of a tent, our earthly life, our earthly body is like a tent. That Anybody ever live in a tent? <laughs> Great accommodation, right? right? <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> uh, when I was young, you know, my parents got into camping, and that was kind of a new thing, you know, for uh, these World War II veterans to enjoy a little uh, peace and blessing in their life. So we. We were just little kids, and we were in a tent, and this this was an old tent that all my dad could afford, and it had the center pole like this, and um, anyway, my I can still remember my mother waking up in the middle of the night on an air mattress screaming, Nelson, there's somebody in the tent. My dad had taken off his trousers and hung him on the center, <laughs> center pole of the tent, and uh, my mother woke up in the middle of the night, and there was this legs standing over her you know a, a tent is not the greatest accommodation well our body is a tent what does that saying about our bodies temporary. they're temporary and we'll put them on and we'll be clothed with an eternal body and we're going to in a future lesson we're going to talk about the resurrection uh, even the christians of paul's day had a lot of questions about that so chapter 15 of first corinthians he goes into uh, trying to answer some of their questions, and he says, Behold, I show you a mystery. Well, not all sleep. We'll be raised. And he talks about the resurrection. Second um, Peter 3, uh, verses 13 and 14. We are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth. So this idea of looking forward, set your mind or your affection on things above and not on things of the earth. God wants us to to catch a, a glimpse of the unseen, to see the glory that awaits us. Heaven equals the presence of God, and I think this is the, the greatest uh, blessing of all. Uh, not only is heaven the reverse of all that's wrong with the world, where everything is righted, but it also equals the presence of God. Uh, and I mentioned uh, uh, Moses wanting to to go or not wanting to go unless the Lord's presence went with him. Let's look at, uh, we're going to run out of time. Uh, Exodus 33, Exodus 33, beginning in verse 12. Let's see. Uh, mine is titled Moses and the Glory of the Lord, Exodus 33, verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so that I may know uh, you and continue to find favor in, uh, with you. Remember that this nation is your people. And the Lord replied, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. God himself will go with them. 
And Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us. Wait a minute, Moses, didn't I just say my presence will go with you? Now, well, if you don't go with us, uh, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? Uh, what else will distinguish me and your people from all views of the earth uh, on the face of the earth? <clears throat> Uh, now in verse uh, 18, Moses said, show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. And the Lord said, there is a place near um, me where you may stand on a rock and when my glory passes by I will put you in a cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until you have passed by then I will remove my hand and you will see my back but you must not uh, but you but my face you must not see okay <clears throat> uh, we call this the Shekinah glory of God, and I always think the word Shekinah is actually not found in Scripture, but it it meant uh, brilliant glory. Okay, but it actually is a concept that means presence. Um, my face. Uh, you remember in the tabernacle, the furnishings of the tabernacle, there was um, something called the table. Of if you have the King James. Showbread, S-H-E-W, showbread, okay, the table of showbread. Uh, and the NIV, think, I, I think, says uh, the table of, I can't remember what the NIV says. Presence. presence. The table of my presence, okay. Um, the, the, the word is, uh, the word is, uh, in Hebrew, is the word panim, okay. And it literally means the face. God says here, you, you cannot see my face and live. The table of shewbread or showbread or the bread represented um, the face of, of God. Um, uh, the Hebrew word is lakim hapanim. Okay, I don't know if I'm saying that right, but the the uh, bread of the face. Moses longed for the presence of God, and heaven is the very presence of God. And one of our songs says, uh, face to face with my Redeemer. Face to face, what shall it be? God's presence in Scripture is referred to as Shekinah glory. Uh, a lot of passages there. Uh, whenever the veil separating heaven and earth is pulled back, we see God in glorious light. Glorious light. And um, I'm going to talk a little bit more about this next time. Uh, but just quickly, I'm going to take two minutes here. Uh, 1 Timothy 6, 16, God dwells in unapproachable light. Matthew 17, verse 2, Jesus was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. 
uh, Luke 2, 8 through 10, an angel of the Lord appeared to them in the, and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. And guess what the next word the angel announced? Do not be afraid. It's, it's there all the time. God is seen in blazing fire over 90 times in Scripture. Uh, God is described as light. God is light. And in Him is no darkness at all. There's no darkness in heaven. And that's why Revelation uh, 22, verse 5 says, Heaven is described as the absence of night and darkness. There is no need of the light of the lamp, uh, light of the lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord gives light and His servants will reign with Him forever and ever. And John adds, the angel said to him, These words are trustworthy and true. This is absolutely true. And uh, Jesus, finally, Jesus promised that when he returns at the end of the age, he will send out his angels to weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil, and then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of his Father. Uh, whenever you this veil is drawn back, and there's so many examples. I mentioned the conversion of Saul on the road to Damascus. Suddenly there's brilliant light, and God lives in brilliant, unapproachable light. And so I'm going to come back to that next time, this kind of glory of, of God. Uh, enough, enough said. Hey, I'm Eddie White, the senior minister for the Eastside Church of Christ. Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you. I'd like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.